Well, could you turn in your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 54. I was, um, I've been a bit, uh, I shouldn't be surprised that the subject matter seems to be similar on the two days that I, that we've chosen messages. Well, all I knew uh, from uh, Pastor Minnick was that he said, I'm going to do the crowns. I said, oh, oh, sorry, the thrones. And I, I thought, well, I'll keep away from the thrones. <laughs> And uh, I nearly did. <laughs> but uh, I think uh, I was sitting there listening to that wonderful message this morning and thinking, you know, I've, I can just fill in a little, a little part of that today. But uh, it's been a privilege to be able to uh, share alongside Pastor Minnick and uh, Brother Colin. And uh, thank you for letting me have a part in the conference this weekend. And uh, this is my last message so I can relax after this and enjoy the whole of the rest of the day. <laughs> so let me just uh, read verses, uh, verses 1 to 3 of Isaiah 54 and then we'll have a prayer and then, uh, then I'll have a word to share. So commencing with verse 1. Sing, O barren, thou that didst bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, Thou that didst not travail with child. For more of the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtain of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. I ask the Lord to bless. Father, we, we thank you for uh, the privilege of being able to spend, Lord, our Tuesday afternoon uh, just uh, meeting around your word. And uh, Father, we know that uh, the preeminent thing for us is to just know what, what you have said and, uh, Father, what it means for us. So we just ask that your Holy Spirit would use this weak vessel, uh, Lord, to just point us to uh, your word and to your will. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I read God's word, and I think that uh, this thought's been echoed already by Pastor Davies, uh, as I read God's word, I'm always amazed at just how kind God is. And there's no greater example of that than in his relationship with Israel. And Isaiah's prophecies give ample evidence of this very fact. The era in which Isaiah prophesied found Israel in a terrible spiritual state. And yet the overwhelming theme of the whole book of, uh, of Isaiah is God's plan of salvation. Even Isaiah's name means the Lord is salvation. The book begins painting a woeful picture of Israel's condition. If you'd just like to go back to Isaiah 1, it's a, a wonderful portion of God's word. Isaiah chapter 1. Just reading verse 4 and verse 6. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, that they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, they are gone away backward. Verse 6. 
For the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. <laughs> what, a, what a woeful picture of uh, the condition of Israel. It, our sinful nation, and, and they're sinful from the, head of the, the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. And because of their sin that has been declared here, this sin had caused and would always cause a separation between God and his people. Have a look in verses 14 and 15. Your new, moon, your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. These are the feasts that they would, uh, would give in the temple. But God uh, could see the rest of their idolatry and he says, look, I'm weary of, the, of, of all of your religion. Verse 15. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. The sin of the nation, the sin of the people had caused this terrible rift between God and his people. But when God could and maybe should have destroyed them forever, instead he gave a call to repentance. Have a look in verse 16. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes ceased to do evil. God calls his sinful people to repent of their sins. And then he gives this gracious invitation. Uh, it's a wonderful invitation to understanding the, 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 the sinful nature of the people. Verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now what, a, what, a, what an offer. <laughs> when we know, as we've learned over this, uh, this weekend, of, of the holiness of God, and as we learnt uh, uh, yesterday of the uniqueness of God, here is a tremendous invitation. God, the holy God, is willing to reason with these sinful people. He was willing to reason to, with the rebels and to cleanse their sin. But how would that be possible? How could a holy God reason with and cleanse a sinful nation and still maintain his holiness and justice. Now, if you were to go to the book of Romans, Paul answers that. But in the, in, in the book of Isaiah, we see God's answer as well. God's answer to being able to, being able to, uh, to, 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 to hear, uh, cleanse these people if they turn from their sins, his answer was to send his servant to take the punishment that they deserved. Let's go right over to Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52 and verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Now we know that God's servant here was God's only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that he died in the place of every sinner, Jew and Gentile. He took the punishment that we all deserved and we all know this wonderful passage in Isaiah 53. Have a look in verse 5. 
but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before a shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Have a look in verse 11. He shall see, that is God, the Father shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Isn't that amazing? By his knowledge shall my righteous servant, there's the righteous servant, justify many, for she, she shall bear their iniquities. God would send his servant's son to take the punishment that we deserve. And what we read here is a, of substitution and of propitiation and of justification that comes out of all of that, all through God's suffering servant. The Lord Jesus Christ would be God's salvation plan. By punishing him for our sins, God could forgive and cleanse and justify sinners and still be holy, be, be holy himself. But this salvation plan, we need to understand, was firstly God's means for Israel to be saved. I think that's who he's referring to in verse 10 of Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, for he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt see his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The seed of Christ here was Israel first, and then the other nations. But as Isaiah prophesied way back here there in chapter 1, there was a condition to God's saving people, saving his people. Isaiah 1 again, verse 19 and 20. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. We've heard that message over and over again this weekend. There, there's the conditions. If you obey the word and receive that, uh, that gospel or that, that salvation plan, then you'll eat the good of the land. But if you rebel, you refuse it, uh, then you'll be devoured with the sword. Each successive generation in Israel would have to be willing to receive God's salvation plan. And we know that just as Isaiah prophesied way back in the 8th century BC, in the fullness of time, God did send his servant son and he was cruelly rejected by his people. But the individuals who did receive him, he came to his own, but as many as received him, he gave power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. When that servant son came to the earth, when, when God's son came to be that saviour, the nation as a whole, the nation of Israel, rebelled against God's son. He came to his own, but his own received him not. And so, as God warned, they were devoured by the edge of the sword. Like a husband might divorce an unfaithful wife, the Lord put Israel away. Eventually he sent the Romans to destroy Jerusalem and its temple and they, and they scattered his people to the four corners of the earth. And after the destruction of Jerusalem uh, by the Romans, after the, 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 the rejection of the, that servant son, you might have thought then surely after murdering his son, 
God's kindness had finally run out for the nation of Israel. Surely would have thought that was the end. Well, if you asked Augustine, he would have said that was the case. Uh, if you would ask Calvin or Luther or, in, or any of those who would follow those, uh, their writings, uh, they would also say the same. And if you'd ask them, probably the majority of Christians in our era, they would all say, well, that was the end for Israel. But why ask any of them when we can ask Isaiah? Because even though we know the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 was rejected by Israel when he came, the only two specific mentions of God's kindness in the whole of Isaiah's prophecies are found in Isaiah 54. In Isaiah 53, they reject God's salvation plan, but then in Isaiah 54, here we see God showing kindness still to his people. In Isaiah 54, we read of the promise of God's kindness to the unfaithful nation whom God had to punish. Let's go back there. Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 to 3. Sing, O barren. Thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. Thou that didst travail with child, and not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. In verse 1, Israel is likened to a wife who, uh, uh, that is now barren, because she has been put away by her husband. And being barren, she was desolate. She was devastated. She was bearing a reproach. And whereas other nations around her prospered, she was sadly barren. Now, I believe this is Jerusalem. This is Jerusalem trodden down of the Gentiles, and uh, it's, uh, 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 which Jesus foretold, himself foretold of. Let's go over to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 and verse four, 24. Jesus referring to, uh, to, to Jerusalem, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Jesus spoke of the this, this, the, the treading down of uh, Jerusalem by the Gentiles uh, and that this would continue until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Jesus spoke of the times of the Gentiles in his era and obviously they would go future after he uh, died and went back to glory. The times of the Gentiles began probably when the Babylonians conquered Judah in 606. And eventually the Roman legions under Titus destroyed the city of Jerusalem in AD 70. And at that time Israel ceased as a nation and bore no more children in a national sense for over 1900 years. Jerusalem and Judah and Israel was like that barren woman. And it was only in the last, it's only in the last 70 years since 1948 that the nation has, of Israel has been reformed. There are now people born Israelis, children of the nation of Israel. But the city of Jerusalem isn't free 
The city of Jerusalem is still being trodden down of the Gentiles. If you were to go to Jerusalem today, you'll find there's, there's all these different... There's the Arab quarter and there's the Christian quarter. There's all these different parts of, of, uh, of Jerusalem. And even the Temple Mount um, has on it uh, mosques uh, belonging to Islam. Jerusalem is still trodden down of the Gentiles. And Israel's borders aren't nearly as extensive as God had promised to Abraham. But we can see... In these last days, the beginning of what Isaiah was told so long ago in Isaiah chapter 54, if you'd just like to go back there. This is what I believe Isaiah was being shown. In Isaiah 54, we read that, that the barren nation is called to sing and cry, to, cry aloud because one day they would again bear children. At, at, at that time, and, and, and until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled, uh, they would be that barren, like that barren wife, that barren woman. But they're told to sing and cry aloud because one day Israel would one again, once again bear children. Their tent and their borders would be enlarged by taking Gentile lands. That's verse 2. Enlarge the place of thy tent. Let them stretch forth the curtain of thine habitations. That would, their borders would be enlarged uh, uh, by repopulating previously desert, deserted cities, which is exactly what we're witnessing in Israel, at least in part today. Uh, prior to um, the, this, uh, this century, uh, Israel was, uh, it was inhabited by various, various Gentile nations, but now Israel is back in very small part in the land that God had promised to them. And despite Palestinian and Arabic threats, Israel daily extends its borders. Have a look here in Isaiah 54, verses 15 to 17. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper and every tongue that shall rise up against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and the righteousness is of me saith the Lord here we see the promise of the Lord the promise of God to protect Israel as she extends her borders now there isn't the righteousness and peace promised in earlier verses but it seems even now Israel has divine assistance to grow despite her enemies and we've seen the miracle of the six-day war we've seen other instances where Israel just shouldn't be on the map but somehow God has protected her and she is extending her borders God is already bringing Israel back into the land to prepare them for Christ's return to fulfill his promises to them and despite their present unbelief, God is protecting them. So do, it seems to me, brethren, that the times of the Gentiles must be drawing near to a close. And with that future day in mind, God encouraged his people not to fear because their days of reproach would soon be over. That's really what Isaiah 54 is about. It's speaking about those last days. When Christ will return and they will no longer have to bear the reproach of that barren woman. But the question is, why 
Again, why would God do this for a people who constantly rebelled against him? A sinful nation who murdered his son and persecuted his church. A nation who even now rejects his servant's son and they spit at the name of Jesus. Our missionary David Kaufman was taught as a Jewish boy to spit every t- three times, every time he heard the name Jesus. Israel is still in unbelief and they still reject the Messiah. So why would God do all that is promised here? Why would he do all this for them? Well, it's certainly not because they deserve it. That's for sure. Rather, it goes back to the kindness of God and the fact that God keeps his promises. And so we have these beautiful little verses in the middle of this chapter. And I think this is the context for them that I've just outlined. Isaiah 54, verses 4 to 6, and 4 to 7. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. And here's these wonderful words. For, my, for thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith the Lord. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. We're talking about great is the Lord, and I'll tell you what, he is, his mercies are great. Great is his mercy, and he has everlasting kindness. The reason that God will restore Israel one day to this favoured position is because he had, has wedded himself in the past to Israel by covenant. So like a husband who has divorced his wife and restores her to a former state, so too the Lord will bring Israel back, take Israel back and restore her as into a favoured position. And then she will be no longer barren, and ashamed, as she will take her former position as God's favoured nation, is what, is what we heard about this morning. Now, when this will happen, and I'm just sort of summarising things, of course, and I'm glad you all know all this anyway. This is really what the Apostle Paul prophesied in, his, in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, if you just like to flick over there, Romans 11, 25 to 29. I'm really glad these verses are here. Romans 11:25 to 29. You know, in in verse one, Paul asked the question, "Hath I say then hath God cast away His people?" Ask Mr. Augustine, he'd say yes. Ask that a millennial person, he'll say yes. Ask that. Well, what do the all other, other unbelieving millennials? They'll all say, oh, yes, God has cast away his people. Uh, the church is the new Israel. No, 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 no. Let's ask Paul. Hath God cast away his people? God forbid. That's the short answer. The rest of the chapter is the long answer. Have a look in verse, uh, verse uh, 20, uh, in verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? That is forever. 
God forbid, that's his short answer. Then he gives you the long answer. But rather through their fall, salvation is come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Verse 25, for I would, brethren, that you should be, should be, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own conceits, ye amillennials, that blindness in parties happen till Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. That's exactly what Jesus was talking about. There's going to be a time when Israel, when Jerusalem is going to be trodden down on the Gentiles. But there, there'll be a time when that when that time is that times of the Gentiles is fulfilled, when it's finished. And what's going to happen when the, when the times of the Gentiles are finished? Well, verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. Now, how can Israel be the church if they're already saved? You see, if the church, so if, if Israel's the church, so all the church shall be saved. Well, if that's the church, they should be already saved, shouldn't they? It can't be the church. It's Israel. And so at that moment, Shall all Israel be, be saved? And there's no doubt when he's talking about, when will be the air yeah, there, when the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. As, as it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That's Israel. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, this is not the election to salvation, this is the election of, as Israel, as God's people. Because of the election, they are beloved for the fathers. Who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, the, the patriarchs of the nation. God has made a promise to them. And for their sakes... So all Israel shall be saved, and when he comes, when the deliverer comes out of Zion, he shall turn away all ungodliness from Jacob to keep his covenant promises to them. Verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He doesn't change his mind when he makes a promise. What these verse tell, verses tell us is that when Jesus comes again, after sifting and sorting his people through those seven years of great tribulation, those left in Israel who haven't taken the mark of the beast, when they, it tells us when they shall see Jesus coming, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him. They'll realise that the one that had been rejected so long ago was indeed the Saviour. He is God's salvation plan. And so all those who haven't taken the beast they shall all bend the knee and be saved and go in to the millennial reign. When Jesus comes again, he will come to restore Israel to her rightful husband. God hath forsaken her for a small moment. I love that little phrase. It's a small moment. It seems like a long time to us. But, you know, if you were, a, if you were an evolutionist, a couple of thousand years is nothing, is it? <laughs> I believe in millions of years. A couple of thousand years is nothing. Peter told us that to an eternal God, a thousand years is as one day and one day is a thousand years. To God, this time of separation, Jesus called the times of the Gentiles is just a small moment. But when that time is fulfilled, God will take back his forsaken wife and she shall bear children. Now this promise will ultimately be fulfilled in the thousand year reign of Christ upon the earth which we read about this morning when Israel's king will come to rule once again over his people. But as I said, 
We can already see the beginning of it now. After 1900 years in barren desolation, the people of Israel are beginning to sing. Isn't that what Isaiah said? Sing, O barren. They're starting to sing because, you see, that God is bringing them back into the land. Now, just going back to Isaiah 54, I ask the question again. We can understand why God would do that because he's made a covenant with his people. But why would God still, knowing the, the terrible apostasy in Israel through successive generations, and knowing that he's had to put Israel aside for such a long time, long time to us, short time for him, why would God do that? Well, the answer is found in the heart of God. Have a look, verse 7 again. Isaiah 54, 7. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. Why will God restore his ancient people? It's because his mercies are great. And his kindness is everlasting. It's because of his great mercies, that's verse 7, and it's because of his everlasting kindness, that's verse 8. In fact, the Lord is ever mindful that he has made a covenant with Israel and he intends to keep his promises. And, you know, the Lord uh, goes on to confirm to them that look, they can really believe what, what he's saying to them. Um, he's making a promise to them here. Uh, you won't, you, you, the land won't be barren anymore. Uh, I will come back and I will restore to the land uh, that I promised to the fathers. And then he goes, so he goes on in verses 9 and 10 um, to, to just to, to give them an example of how he'd already been keeping the promise he made to Noah. Uh, for this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. Just as... I made that promise on that Noahic covenant and the earth has not been you know, swamped with water ever since. Just as I've kept that promise, I'll keep this promise to you. My promise is that I will show kindness to you and fulfil my promises. And so having told them of his great mercy and his everlasting kindness, that he will eventually keep his covenant with them. The Lord told them what he would do for Jerusalem. And that's what we read in the last part of it, in verses 11 to 14. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest and not comforted. That sounds like uh, Jerusalem today, doesn't it? Whether you can't be sure of uh, being blown up in a bus or a coffee shop or having children throw stones at you or being shot down. It's Jerusalem, even though they might be, the Jews might be back in, in, in Israel and, and in the city of Jerusalem, it is still a troubled city. Oh, thou afflicted, to tossed with the tempest and not comforted. Behold, 
I will lay thy stones with fair colours and lay thy foundations with sapphires and I will make thy windows as agates and thy gates as carbuncles and thy borders as pleasant stones and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children in righteousness shalt thou be established thou shalt be far from oppression for thou shalt not fear and from terror for it shall not come near thee that sounds exactly like the new covenant doesn't it all that Ezekiel told us if we were to go to Ezekiel we'd go down and, and, and in Ezekiel he told him, well, in, the, under that, in those days when, when the king sits on the throne in Israel and the Lord brings in all the promises through those thousand years, uh, he, he won't have to teach, children won't have to be taught the, the word of the Lord because the, the word of the Lord will be in their hearts. There's going to be a time in Israel when all of this will come to place. And there's no doubt this is for Israel. This is kindness for Israel first. Have a look at Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63 and verse 7. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praise of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel which he has bestowed on them according to his mercy and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. God's loving kindness for Israel is virtually a covenant, a covenant blessing based upon his great mercy so that those of Israel should never doubt that one day the king will come and God will show his kindness to them. God's kindness has really never run out because his kindness is everlasting. I started off by saying that I can, when I read God's word, I'm, I'm always amazed at how kind God is. And when I read about God's kindness to Israel, it gives me great comfort. Sometimes I'm inclined to think Surely the Lord has run out of kindness for me. I seem to fall down in that area. I keep falling down in that same old area. I seem to be coming back and asking for forgiveness for that same thing. I seem to be letting down this person and that person. Sometimes I'm inclined to think, surely the Lord has run out of kindness for me. And that's because I do often fail and I do fall back. Or because I put my foot in things or neglect my devotional duty. And surely after all these years, God's supply of mercy for me would have run out. Well, thankfully, my long list of failures could never exhaust God's everlasting mercy. God, my long list of failures could never exhaust God's everlasting mercies. And God's continued mercy and kindness for Israel proves that to me over and over again. King David knew it too, didn't he, when he wrote Psalm 136. In Psalm, in Psalm 136, 25 times he repeated that saying, For his mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. We need that, don't we? Because we couldn't survive if it wasn't for God's mercy and if it wasn't for God's kindness. We should praise God. He doesn't reward us according to his justice but According to his mercy, I found this little story. The story is told of a politician who, after receiving the proofs of a portrait, was very angry with the photographer. He stormed back, in, back to the photographer and arrived with these angry words. This picture does not do me justice. The photographer replied, Sir, with a face like yours, you don't need justice, you need mercy. <laughs> <laughs> and brethren, when I read that, I thought, well, we, we brethren, we are the ugly sinners. 
praise God he doesn't reward us according to our just to justice, but he records us, he, he rewards us according to our mercy as long as we are in Christ Jesus. Have a look in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me finish with these few verses. We ought to thank God for his everlasting kindness and his great mercies. And, you know, God's intention for us, sometimes when we think of his mercy, we just think of now and, uh, you know, when we have to, uh, and for his kindness and, and how God rewards us with our unfaithfulness and, and he forgives us and, the, and how God has saved us out of his mercy and kindness. But, hey, did you know that God has planned for us to receive his kindness forever? <laughs> For a very long time. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy. That's what Isaiah talked about. God's great mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins. Hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Grace and kindness are almost the same thing aren't they. And hath raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? So that we can scrub the floors of heaven or, or you know, serve God forever. No, this is, why he's, this is what he's got planned for us, brethren, uh, when we go home, uh, to be with him in, the, in glory. He says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, toward, grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. What has he got planned for us? He has he got planned. He has got planned that he will show not just his his kindness, uh, but the grace of his kindness, and not just the grace of his kindness, but the riches of the grace of his kindness, and not just that, but the exceeding riches of the grace of his kindness toward us, forever and ever. God wants to show kindness to us for all eternity. You think he's being kind to you now? That's nothing compared to what he will show all those who are in Christ Jesus and go to be with him in glory. For God is a kind and a merciful God. God wants to show his kindness to us literally into the ages, to the ages to come. And we can believe that by reading about Israel. <laughs> How God over and over again uh, showed his kindness and his mercy to them. I had a cousin, apparently, he wrote this song. His name was Hugh Mitchell. He probably wasn't a cousin. But he wrote a song, simple little tune. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee. Thy loving kindness is better than life. This really ends my humble contribution to our, our gatherings. I appreciate you that you've been able to listen to me for all these hours. Just to remind you that great is the Lord. He's the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Great is his faithfulness. His name is great. His counsel is great. And so too are his mercy and kindness. You know, there's much that we can praise God for. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this uh, just quick overview of Lord the way that you have shown great kindness to your people Israel despite their unfaithfulness we thank you Lord that you've covenanted to your people that you will show kindness to them you will show them for mercy that they don't deserve 
And Father, we can take heart from that because we know that if we are in Christ Jesus and we live according to his word, then we too can know that kindness every single day. Thank you, Lord, for our time in your word today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.